0: deceptions podcast we are in for a shrinking population and coupled with that a shrinking economy a shrinking tax base a shrinking lifestyle Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year, and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? I can't really remember when I last had any hope. And I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? In one of my podcasts in this series, I mentioned the movie Children of Men, a brilliant near-future dystopian piece set in the UK. And in the movie... Humans are no longer able to procreate. The last child is born on the planet and then that's it. Confusion turns to despair, turns to anger, then turns to societal collapse. A whole nation unable to have children, a whole world. But what if we put a little twist in the tale What if instead of a society that is unable to have children, we end up with a society that, although able to, does not want to have children? Now, a caveat. This is not a podcast about those unable to have children, nor is it a podcast about some sort of have 10 children live in the hills behind a chain fence. We're not getting into whataboutism here, but a recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia pointed out this fact about my home nation. It said this, not only is one in four households already child-free in 2022, but it's predicted that between next year and 2029, the number of couples living without children will overtake the number of couples who have kids. Now, we have to take into account the ageing population. I'm 55, my wife is 53, our daughter is 21, our son 14. It didn't feel that all that long ago that we were knee-deep in changings of clothes, primary school reading days and various pieces of art on the fridge that no self-respecting Extinction Rebellion activist would glue themselves to. (laughs) But as the article goes on to point out, that deciding not to have children as opposed to childlessness that's the inability to have children, is now becoming an increasingly popular choice. And it's not just in my home country, it's across the West. Now, I want you to note the emotion-laden language and the difference between the two terms, childlessness, which speaks of loss, and child-free, which speaks of freedom. The language we use to define something is critical in how we assess it both individually and socially. The article in the Sydney Morning Herald then interviews several people, single people and couples, who have decided that child-free is for them. Now, here are a couple of the quotes from that article. I can't say what's wrong or right for anyone else, but for Matthew and me, the benefits to living child-free have been immeasurable. We have plenty of time to devote to creative projects and to travel. There's so much more we'd like to do and see. And then this, the environment also comes into play. Considering what we've witnessed over the last few years with climate change and the pandemic, it reinforces our belief that we're better off not bringing children into this world. Now, those two quotes were from the same person. Now, here's another quote from someone else. There are plenty of benefits to not having kids. Obviously, we have more time to enjoy together as a couple, more time for fun, hobbies and travel, and the ability to keep discovering who we are as individuals. We can also focus on building our careers and finances without having to worry about anyone else. Well, there you have it. There's a lot to be said for not having children, but I want to unpack a little more some of the contradictions in those statements. First of all, it says we don't want to bring children into a world that is so bad with climate change and war and stuff like that. Yet from the very same person, and it was the same person, not having children gives us more time to travel, do career, finances and hobbies. Can you see the contradiction in that? On one hand, the world is so bad, we don't want to bring children into it. Yet on the other, the very same world is so good Having children will mean we will miss out. FOMO, fear of missing out. We want to suck the marrow out of life and children will suck the life out of us. So something had to give. And in a cultural setting in which choice is the highest value commodity, then increasingly it would seem, if the stats are an indication, that child free will become the choice of flavor. So where's it all headed? The first thing I'd say is this. The child-free option has come at a time of great cultural turmoil. It sort of makes me think of the imaginary thanks but no thanks rejection letter that the publishing company sent to Charles Dickens when he posted them a copy of A Tale of Two Cities and all on the strength of its opening line. It was the worst of times. It was the best of times. You can imagine the letter. Come on, Mr. Dickens, is it the best of times or is it the worst of times? It can't possibly be both. It's funny, but at the very least, this tells me that there's a lack of coherence to where we're heading culturally. But funny story aside, Dickens set his novel at the outset of the French Revolution. And here's the opening paragraph in full. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven. We were all going directly the other way. Now, does that sound familiar? That sense of turmoil, the one that captured Dickens' age, because it captures ours too, doesn't it? We are in a period of cultural upheaval. Part of the child-free move is a batten down the hatches in a best-of-times, worst-of-times era. Let's see where this thing goes. Now, the classic song, Life in Wartime by Talking Heads, speaks of a torturous future, and it contains these lines. This ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This ain't no foolin' around. No time for dancin' or lovey-dovey. I ain't got time for that now. Life in wartime, whether that's real war, culture war, economic war, or even the personal battles we have within, people are scared. And it's not as if in such times the risk of motherhood or having children hasn't been noted elsewhere. Even Jesus, when speaking to his disciples, predicted the need for his followers to flee the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army in 70 AD. And he said this about having children during that time. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Kids will weigh you down, apparently. And they will, actually. That's been my experience, our experience. My wife and I have juggled life in the wartime trenches of everyday life. We've swapped roles as full-time carer several times. And when it comes to home duties, we're pretty much a 50-50 split. And yet it's still hard. Yet this seems more, doesn't it, at the moment. Having children seems, well, not just annoying or getting in the way, but dangerous in these days. And sometimes, quite literally, described as dangerous. I was reading an article in the New York Times about child-free life, and as usual, I read the comments to see what people really think. And I was struck often by this line. It was said several times. Having a child is dangerous. They meant the birthing process. The physical act of having a child is dangerous to one's health. And it was said so often, I assumed it was assumed. Assumed by people, many in New York and many others who have the wherewithal and cultural nous to make that statement in the New York Times. Now listen, the safest place to have a child anywhere in the world, anytime in the world, would surely have to be a modern city such as New York. But there it was. Having a child in the modern world doesn't simply threaten your lifestyle, but your very life. Now contrast this with what's going on around the world. Contrast this with the work of an organisation such as Love Mercy Foundation in Uganda, headed up by Australian Olympic runner Eloise Wellings and Uganda's former Olympic captain Julius Akon. Now, I thoroughly recommend their work, and you can check them out at lovemercyfoundation.org. But one of their projects is the construction and staffing of safe maternity wards in northern Uganda, where the cost of having a child could actually be your life. And you know what? Women in that setting have far less choice about having children. Yet, conversely, far less desire not to have children, to be child-free and far more need to do so also for all sorts of cultural, community, religious and economic reasons, and power disparities as well. Childlessness is perhaps a problem in Uganda, not so much child freeness. Not when travel plans are non-existent in places like Uganda and careers are about getting back to work in the field the day after you've given birth. And then you need to raise a family in order to continue the family farm, for example. The second observation I'd make is this, child-freeness is a demographic time bomb. If in 2029, half of households in Australia are child-free, then rest assured of this, we are in for a shrinking population, and coupled with that, a shrinking economy, a shrinking tax base, a shrinking lifestyle. We'll end up with child-free couples for whom the first two-thirds of life might be fulfilling but the last third, well, that could get a bit complex. A nation such as China once espoused a one-child policy to cure population growth and policed it brutally. But there were unforeseen consequences, an ageing population being just one of them. And it led to China uh, doing the equivalent to trying to balance the pH level of a swimming pool water, tinkering with a policy trying to get it right here and then damping it down there and raising it up somewhere else. A former treasurer of Australia, Peter Costello, said that families should be encouraged to have two children for themselves and, in his words, one for Australia. In other words, we're not replacing ourselves as a nation. And for some, that's seen as environmental heaven, yet for others, societal hell. It's really a case of name your poison. The third observation is this. The future in the West may not be as secular as either you fear or hope. Why is that? Here's why. Because religious communities, by and large, have much bigger families, and ethnic minority religious families more so again. The future of the West might be religious, more religious than now, especially if demographics is any indication. There's a view among secular thinkers that given a generation or two, even those who come as migrants, and if they're religious, will just sort of smooth into a much more Western way of thinking. Now, that's a very arrogant thing to think, because it insinuates that people will see the obvious superiority of Western thinking once they're living in the West. But that hasn't been the case. Religious families who migrate to the West are often shocked at the lack of familial safety net, the lack of community, and the godlessness of the host community. Now, my experience of getting into an Uber in any major Western city is that young Muslim or Hindu drivers are perplexed by the atomised lives lived by Westerners. Now, granted, this might tail off over time, but here's the kicker. Among my Western friends, those with the most children, by far, are religious people. And not just religious people in country towns, but religious people in inner urban areas, young church folk who are white-collar. I recently attended a religious dedication service at our local church near the city. It's in the highest progressive green voting ward in the state, and it meets in a local bowling club. It's a a great place. You know what? It was awash with children, young children, young couples in their early 30s, many mixed-race couples with two, three, four children already. And culturally, Many of them tick the boxes of the child free. They live in the same types of areas. They deal with the same stresses and strains. They are modern people. Both within the couple have good careers. They're juggling life. But this time they're doing it with a whole lot of kids and they're quite young. And the spread of children is uneven, you see. Religiously observant people, though increasingly a minority in the West, seem to be having many more children. Oh, and there's another group of people having more children in the West too. The working class, those down the socioeconomic food chain. I mean the solid mums and dads from the local primary school in my former suburb. Dads worked on the mines, mums packed shelves at the grocery store three nights a week. There was no missed career opportunity in the law firm in her mind. And they also had many more children than the average secular person who was higher up the socioeconomic food chain four, sometimes five children. Primary school ended up being a 15-year stint for them. Now, they weren't churchgoers, but they were happy to send their kids to a local youth group. Which leads me to my fourth observation. Perhaps it's contentious, but it seems to fit a pattern, and it's this. The more children you have, the more religious it's likely that you will become. Now, did you get that? Did you get which way around that was? The standard riff is this. The less religious you are, the less children you will have. But American author and cultural commentator, Mary Eberstadt flips that. She says that maybe the correlation works the other way. Maybe having more children will push you to become more religious, or at least keep you inside the religious framework. She observes this, faith and family are the invisible double helix of society, two spirals that when linked to one another, can effectively reproduce, but whose strength and momentum depend on one another. What she's saying is this, break the family link, you break the faith link. Reconnect the family link, and you can possibly reconnect the faith link. Will that happen? We shall see. Look up Mary Eberstadt's work. I highly recommend it. So what can we do about this? Well, apart from not rushing to judge people who are child-free, it's worth exploring some of the drivers behind the stated decisions. Why, for instance, do faith communities, even made up of people who are very much the same culturally and sociologically as their secular counterparts, why do they have more children? Perhaps it's to do with what hope we have for the future, or more to the point, What the future even means. Where is the world headed? Now that was a key concern in the article that I quoted from the Sydney Morning Herald. If it is actually life in wartime, cultural, personal or actual war, then as the Talking Heads song goes, I ain't got time for that now. And that includes kids. It's about hope, isn't it? Hope and fear, two sides of the same coin. Yale theologian Miroslav Volf makes the observation that in the West, the vision of human flourishing has shriveled. He says it has shriveled to personal fulfillment. Our satisfied self, he says, is our best hope. Maybe, just maybe, faith communities, especially those with a belief in not just a vague afterlife, but an embodied new creation, such as the Bible teachers, maybe they're not putting all of their literal eggs in the now basket. A vast gulf exists between the surface similarities between those who are secular and those who are religious, even living in the same place. Similarities such as education, income, location, those things mask a huge difference in where people's hopes lie. If the Christian belief in a new creation where all the bad is done away with means anything, it means this, FOMO, the fear of missing out on the good stuff, is completely taken out of the equation. Having children does mean you will miss out on some stuff, lots of stuff in fact, not just unbroken sleep. You will miss out on lots of stuff that our culture values higher than having loads of kids. But what if? What if what is coming beyond this age, beyond the actual cultural and personal wars in the trenches of our adult lives, is a far better world than we could possibly imagine. What if it's definitely better than the fractured and tenuous world that we're bringing our kids into now? If it is, then it kind of makes sense to bring as many people with you as you can into that future. Or to build on what the former treasurer of Australia said, perhaps having two kids for yourself and one for the Australia that is yet to come in the new creation, is the kind of liberty that the child free Can only dream of an Undeceptions Podcast.